0: Uh, this is uh, Rock Bottom to Recovery, episode 25. My name is Bill Farrell. Today our guest is Kevin Rosario. He is the Regional Outreach Representative for Gosnold. Um, Rock Bottom to Recovery can be listened to on iTunes, uh, Podbean, and we're actually uh, Facebook Live right now, so you can go to our Facebook page and you can check out past videos, um, and or you can just listen on the radio. Um and uh, we, have, we cover all kinds of things. Rock Bottom to Recovery is to talk about um, all roads to recovery, which, you know, uh, my road to recovery is different than yours, Kev. It's different than Zach's, different than Dylan's. It's all different. Uh, but as long as we get there, I think we're pretty good. So, uh, But we are starting to, um, we're going to be moving this location. We're at uh, Holbrook H Cam in Holbrook. And uh, we are moving um, as of July 1st. July 1st, we're going to pack up everything, and we're going to head up to the new high school where we have a studio. Um, we're going to be filming Rock Bottom to Recovery uh, from the studio, and uh, that'll be... We'll be moving. How long will that take us? We'll be, uh, uh,
1: you will be John Green, the my pilot. man. I love you, brother. Then, uh, first week
0: of August. First week, August, we'll be backing up and rolling. I think we're going to try to keep the podcast going. We're going to re- pre-record a couple of videos so we can post them throughout July, Um and we'll just do it like that. So, uh, with that said, um, again, go back and check out our past um, uh, Rock Bomb to Recovery uh, episodes. They're excellent. Uh, we've, covered, uh, all kinds of, uh, uh, we've covered all kinds of we covered all kinds of addiction, um, from you know, um, obviously uh, drugs, alcohol, pornography. We covered that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but today we're going to talk to Kevin. Um, Kevin's a phenomenal. Uh, man who who does a lot of amazing things i know anybody that knows you anybody that's watching they that they know about kevin
1: keep my ego in check that's it it,
0: baby (laughs) hey we're gonna swell up that head so you'll slowly see it go down um so kev uh tell us um how um you got started what age you started with and um did you start did you smoke did you start with cigarettes? I
1: hated cigarettes. You did? I started with marijuana and alcohol in 7th yeah. grade, 12, 13, something like that. Wow,
0: 7th grade. Yeah. it's. You know what? As as an adult now, like 7th grade, you're like, man, that's so young. I
1: look at 7th graders now, and yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. I was already selling weed in 7th grade.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, tell people, like... Uh, I, I
1: saw you. I had no chance, Bill. I was yeah. destined for jail and detox. Like, I was like, yeah,
0: but you did it with style, man. Because, yeah, as you say, you were an entrepreneur and you knew that right off the bat. Yeah. And so tell us about that. All right. Tell man. us about your uh, your uh, entrepreneurship in the seventh grade. Hey, Cheryl. <laughs> so...
1: Oh, man. So, first of all, Bill, thank you for having me. Um, I love Bill to death, he's good people. And um, whenever I get an opportunity to share a little bit of my story and maybe, you know, give someone hope, because we all know someone that's struggling. Uh, more importantly i love prevention work and i really try to get out and try to get to young people so if anybody you know has this save it and, and play it back to to your younger people adolescents to try to divert them uh from the path you know but you know and i just want to give gauz all the shout out right off the rip because they let me do this cool stuff like they basically are big on prevention and community initiatives and and they let me you know have the autonomy and the freedom in my schedule to do a lot of cool stuff like this. Like I've been speaking at schools a lot right. lately, and and it's all good, you know. So um, just a quick plug, we do have a new outpatient site in Stoughton. We were in, we were in Brockton for maybe 20 years, and we moved to the Brockton-Stoughton line at the old Goddard Hospital. And we have primary mental health and uh, addiction programs there with one-on-one soap, PHP, IOP, Vivitrol, free family support groups on Wednesday night, so please check that out. Where is that? It's at Stoughton, uh, 909 Sumner Street.
0: That's the, that's, that's for, um, um, yeah, I actually, um, I, um, yeah, because I actually had, I, I highlighted a few things I wanted to plug because especially around here, because if people don't know, Gosnell is down on the Cape, um, they've been around since 1972. Yep. Yeah, so they've been they've been around for a long, long time. That speaks volumes of, you know, recovery treatment center. Um, and and not only that, but I mean, I was looking online. I mean, you guys cover mental health, um, substance use. Um, uh, or abuse, whatever. The, I don't know what the political Please, is substance
1: correct. use disorder, substance use abuse disorder,
0: co-occurring. Um, yeah. Which is what is that? Is that a dual, almost like a dual diagnos- yeah. diagnosis? Diagnosis, be.
1: primary mental health. So I think everybody thinks of Gosnell as the addiction place on Cape yes. Cod, but all most of our counselors, let's say eighty-five percent of our counselors in the outpatient setting, are like LICSWs or LMHCs. So they're primary mental health folks. Right. So a lot of what I've been doing lately is getting out there and letting people know, hey. You don't have to have any addiction history right. to benefit from Gosnell services. Okay. And sometimes um, someone who gets their mental health under control is less likely to abuse substances because that is often the underlying problem. You right. know? So the Stoughton site is a, has a primary mental health day program called the partial hospitalization, and they have a dual diagnosis. So if you've got mental health co-occurring and substance use disorder, you can go five hours a day.
0: So it says right here, so on Wednesday nights, right, 6 yeah. p.m. to 7.30 p.m., which is that, that's a family support group. Is yeah. that? It's the same location.
1: Yep. It's right? free. Walk in, no appointments, run by a clinician. You it's got a, free. you got questions to ask. You don't have to be an alumni. You're just, just a random person walking in and saying, hey, this is what i got going on. What do you think?
0: And you're also in situate too, right? Are yeah. you still in situate?
1: Sunday mornings at the senior center. We have a family support group there. So those are the closest ones to here, and then we have one in Harwich, Centerville, Falmouth, and Nantucket. We got right. a new outpatient site right there. So,
0: and I saw all those, and that uh, you know is gonna. Um, so once this video is all said and done, uh, I'll put like your the Gosnold link or yeah, whatever it is link, that you want to put on there. I'll email. put that in there, yeah. and we'll share it and everything. Um, but I, I did highlight Situate and Stoughton because those are in the areas, and right. um, you know, again. It's like what, whatever resources it's a free we can resource. send. It's a free resource. You know? It's definitely worth taking a trip to it. Right. Um, and, and I'll post those things onto the um, – Onto the uh, podcast information. So, All right,
1: cool. All right let's go. I'm let's ready Let's go. Now.
0: Seventh grade. Where'd you go
1: to school? <laughs> so I'm a New Bedford uh, mass kid. Um, I grew up in New Bedford. Uh, went to Kearney Academy. Then I went to Keith Junior High School, and that's where it popped off. In, in elementary school, I was like a little runt. I was smaller than everybody. Late boomer, bloomer as far as puberty goes. You know, I got bullied in fifth grade, and I got my little heart broken in sixth grade. My <laughs> first little puppy love, and that was it. So Burles. I went to junior high school, and I wanted to be a new new person. I talk about this a lot because the underlying issue is bigger than the substance use. Right. Like drugs and alcohol are like what we use to cover and mask a bigger problem. Right. And my bigger problem was self-esteem, insecurity, um, wanting to fit in, not having a true identity, You know, having some hurt and some trauma and some pain as a young person between family stuff and personal stuff. And so I went to this school in seventh grade, Keith Junior High, which I'm so blessed that I had the opportunity to speak there last week. It was oh, like no a full kidding. circle thing. <laughs> it was <laughs> really cool. Awesome. Um, but, you know, I, I went there and I became the class clown. I started picking on other people, and it was basically like deflecting, keep the attention right. off of me. Right. And so I had behavioral issues. I was hyperactive, ADHD to the yeah. max, still am, and then smoked a joint. You know, it was like I had all these issues before I found drugs. Where did the know? joint come from? So, an 8th grader. So, I, had, I was in 7th grade. I started hanging around with 8th graders trying to, like, you know, find the cool kids because yeah. I wanted to be safe. The
0: older kids. The older kids. Even though they were 8th grade.
1: They were in 8th grade, but <laughs> the 8th graders had friends in the high school already. That's right. So, See one day works? after school, we would walk into a New Bedford High football game, yeah. and my 8th grade friend was with his freshman friend, and we smoked weed. And yeah. I didn't even get high. I honestly didn't get high the first time I smoked weed, but, like, I felt like part of something, right? Right. And I think a big part of recovery is finding a sense of community wherever right. you find that because we feel less than and separated from. And when I smoked that joint, I felt like they accepted me. I felt like I was a cool kid or something. Right. And, you know, you could just fast forward from there because once I smoked that joint, I was pretty much open to try anything else. Right. So that's why I don't do the just say no. That's why I don't do the because I said so, because you're not old enough. Like parents need better excuses than that. They need better parenting skills. And it has to be more science driven. You know, your brain's not fully developed to your mid-20s, the prefrontal lobe, dopamine, limbic system, like all these things. Those are the reasons why. Right. It's not the other reasons. Though, your brain literally can't handle it. But once I smoked weed a couple of times, I kind of liked it. calmed me down. Right. And I started to drink alcohol. I hated the taste of alcohol right off the rip. So it was like, hold your nose and gu- guzzle some Mad Dog 2020. Uh, Mad know? Dog 2020. <laughs> oh, Did you
0: drink Mad Dog 2020? Oh,
1: yeah. And you could find piles of whatever color they were drinking because it came out <laughs> the same color. Because it came out.
0: <laughs> and you know it's funny? I, I'm not lying. I was at work and I heard somebody say, I used to drink Train." Night train. night train, and I'm like, I had some night train. No. <laughs> and How about I had Cisco, they called that
1: liquid, liquid crack. Uh, Cisco is like an automatic arrest.
0: Ah, uh, nasty grape <laughs> wine that you could get for a buck ninety nine, and it was a big bottle. And and I'm telling you, I don't know no what fringles. you were wearing, but I was wearing oh, yeah. a white coat. Okay. And that purple didn't mix with that's the white, right. that's for sure. And the pizza that I ate don't mix pizza and Mad no. Dog Twenty Twenty. No. <laughs> so good luck.
1: So anyway, right, what's funny is it kind of happened really fast because marijuana and alcohol, like, provided that little bit of relief that I didn't even know I was looking for, right. and then I just became, like, a, an ex- a lab rat, like, I'd try anything, so by seventh grade, I liked smoking weed, I didn't have any money, so my older friends are like, hey, look, if you sell four joints, you can keep the fifth one. In 7th grade I was traveling with a sucret case you know with rolled joints in there selling rollies, and uh, and that's how it started by 8th yeah. grade my friend went on to high school and now he found mescaline so I started trying mescaline wow. so next thing you know I'm selling yeah, mescaline fun. as a 13 year old kid in junior high school Did you take mescaline Oh yeah I loved mescaline yeah. at the time They don't it,
0: even make that anymore do no. they
1: No no I don't even know what – I guess the equivalent would be like molly or something.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess, Because it was yeah. like
1: acidy L S D E lsd make you laugh. And so like if yeah. you're scared and insecure and kind of meek, you take this drug that makes you laugh. Yeah. I liked anything that took me out of myself.
0: I've taken mescaline. Yeah. 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 It, it Just you laugh to see your stomach hurt.
1: And your face hurts the next day and your And it sounds
0: hurts. like it's all fun and everything. Yeah. But it's not. Um, I don't know about you. I remember I came down off of it. Yeah, and, the, de- and, oh, it depressed. was horrible. It was horrible. Well,
1: I'm honest with people. This is the truth. <laughs> I started experimenting at 13, and yeah. I did have a lot of fun. You know, yeah. I started getting arrested at 16 the first time for an open container, and it was still like ah, it was bad luck. The cops were picking on me. I was drinking. It was the cars. It was the jewelry. It was making money. And, and as the consequences were coming, I was still having fun. I yeah. really did. I had a lot of fun. And then. In the tw- When I was in my 20s, we started doing, like, Vicodin and Percocet, and yeah. still, nobody got addicted. I'm not talking Perc 30s. I'm talking 543s, 602 yeah. endos, like the regular Percocets, and then right. Big Purdue said, we got this new thing that our studies show it's not very addictive, so the market got flooded with OxyContin, and people that were recreational Percocet users, was like, hey— this is like Percocet yeah. without the aspirin. And I'm like, I don't need aspirin. I have no use for aspirin. Right. And it sounds naive. I grew up in New Bedford. I've seen drug dealers. I've seen homeless people. I've seen prostitutes. And I was selling drugs my whole life. Every every drug I ever used, I would sell myself right. to offset the expense. I always had a job. First one with a car at 16. I'll never be a drug addict. I'm Kevin Rosario. I right. make money. Right. And we just started doing the OCs. And literally, I was just doing them with not a lot of thought and to the point where I went camping one time. This yeah. was like the shift. I went camping and you bring everything that you think you need for camping, right? A couple thirty packs, hamburgers, hot dogs, some weed, and I happen to have like a couple pills left. Yeah. At that point in my life, I don't need OxyContin to get through the weekend. Yep. I didn't think. The next day I'm out, I get sick. Hot, cold, sweat, stomach's all upset. I'm all messed up. I'm like, man, I feel like I got the flu. It's July. Yeah. My friend's like, Kev, you're dope sick. Dude, I was so offended. I could have slapped this kid because I'm Kevin Rosario. My ego was always so swollen to hide how really scared (laughs) I was, right? And the kid was like, oh, yeah, here's a little pill. Took it 20 minutes right as rain. And I was like, oh, no. And from that day forward, it's let's not be sick. You know, yeah, I got high. Yeah, I had fun. But that's what it ends up in the end, you know? And
0: so – and you know this because you, you, like you said, you do. You're always out. You're speaking. You meet a lot of people. You meet a lot of doctors and everything. And, yep. and the information that we have now, when it comes to addiction, how it affects the brain, right. like um, uh, we just had a couple of uh, uh, psychiatrists, uh, doctors, whatever they were, speak at a. Oh, you remember that there was the. Um, it was the from home base. Um, the, the, from, that the from um, the home base the uh, the woman doctor and the guy doctor I don't know the names. Uh, like with the, I'm sorry, yeah, I meant yeah. to tell you at the core conference. Oh yeah, remember they oh, spoke yeah, and yeah, she yeah, said yeah. I'm going to put this very very simple. Right. Um, you know she explained how the dopamine releases. Obviously, right. it releases a lot with the opiates. Right. And the mind hijacks the body. Right. And literally becomes right. the number one thing that you right. have to get above food, above water, yeah. and everything. So you started to experience that. Yeah.
1: Well, what people don't this is what people <clears throat> don't get. And I do this a lot in the schools. Nicotine, probably the most addictive drug in the world. <clears throat> alcohol kills more people every year That's than right. any other drug. Alcohol related illnesses, accidents, diseases. And we minimize marijuana and alcohol. Yeah. Here's the thing marijuana and alcohol and nicotine. So the vaping, the jewel. If your kid's smoking, they're running around with a flash drive, like, you gotta have a talk. It's not yeah. okay. Why? Because all of those things stimulate the brain. And, right. and they release different amount of dopamine and chemicals that stimulate the brain. And the underdeveloped brain can't handle it. And what ends up happening is it craves more. Right. So you start off like, oh, I'll just try this. No big deal. Um, but then your brain's like, let's do it again. We're almost hardwired to yeah. be at risk to be addicted because the limbic system releases dopamine as a reward for a behavior we're supposed to repeat. Right. So sex, exercise, eating, laughing, you kind of need to do those to yeah. survive. Dopamine's released. That's right. And then when you do marijuana, nicotine, alcohol... Not even talking about coke, crack, pills, and all that other stuff. It releases so much dopamine, so much more than the body naturally produces that the brain's like, "Yo, we got to do that again." Right. We're tricked into believing it's something we're supposed to do because it—it's it, the same chemical that—that that God, our Creator, the yeah. universe, whatever you want to call it, given us in the beginning to do a, to repeat certain behavior. So then, if you throw in genetic predisposition, you got a family with mental illness. Yep. You got a family with one or more people with you know history of addiction. You, anybody under twenty-five is automatically at risk because the brain's not fully That's developed, right. and you know you throw in these these other risk factors, ADHD, all these things. You literally have no chance. You, you're almost gonna, <laughs> you're set up to become yeah. addicted. You yeah. know, and so I get aggravated when families and parents don't get it because opioids are so bad. They're like, "Oh, my kid only smokes weed." Yeah, no kidding. I only smoke weed, too, for a long time. Had a lot of fun smoking weed. And the person smoking weed never thinks it's ever possible to ever do anything else. But here's how the body works. We're just using for effect, right? There's some literature that says they use for the effect produced. So it's either I like the way that it makes me feel or I like the way that it helps me not feel. The problem with with that is the body every day builds a tolerance to no matter what it is. Ask any chronic pain patient who started off with a PERC-5. Ten years later, they're on morphine patches. It doesn't mean the pain necessarily got worse. The tolerance to the medication went up. So if you start off with marijuana, just to take the edge off, two years later, it's heavy drinking and mescaline. Two years later, it's Xanax. Three years later, introduced to to Percocet. I'm still only trying to be okay like I was when I was 13. I have no desire to be a drug addict, but every day that goes by, a little joint and two beers don't do it anymore so as you continue to self medicate and seek pleasure through fake chemicals you know uh... you know unnatural sources over a period of time, you need more and more and more. And the next thing you know, you're doing something you said you'd never do.
0: What, what do you tell people that tell you, like, well, you know, I got a friend or I know somebody and all they do is just smoke weed. Yeah. That's it. They never got addicted. Yeah. Or, I mean, they, there is. They, right. yeah, listen. Absolutely.
1: You, you, <laughs> I say good for them. That's yeah.
0: good. I, I mean, that's Are You want to take
1: that risk with your, with your loved one or, yeah. you know. I'm t- so, my, with the whole marijuana thing, for the record, anybody that's out there. I don't really care if you smoke weed. Yeah. If you are a 40-year-old dude and you cut the grass and smoke weed and drink some beers and watch the Red Sox game and you raise your kids and you're a good human, that's none of my business. Peace. Peace. My my mission is really about talking to the people that are under 25. And the dangers of marijuana and alcohol are around the underdeveloped brain and the extreme risk of becoming addicted. I even tell kids when I go speak in high schools, listen. I'm not an anti-anything guy. I'm just a know the risks, know where right. your brain is at, and make an appropriate decision. I was like, go to school, go on to grad school, get a master's, call me when you're 25, I'll buy you a beer. Yeah. You've done hard work. You, you, your body can physically handle it. And if you have a glass of wine and, and that doesn't bother you,
0: Great. Well it's a in it's it is a, a fact that like after the brain is fully developed, I say the age of twenty five, yeah. the chance of becoming addicted is, yeah. is that the percentages drop.
1: Drastically.
0: Drastically.
1: So Doctor Schran, he's a clinical psychiatrist, he might be a PhD. I don't know. He runs the castle program in Boston uh, yeah. Brockton Good dude works for High Point. I always steal his material. I always mess up the statistics. So if you're watching, I'm sorry. But you get the idea. And he says something like, you know, if you wait until you're 18 before you try your first chemical, you're like 37% less likely to become addicted. Yeah. And if you wait till you're 21, it's like 53% less likely to become addicted. If you wait till you're 25, you're like 74% less likely to become addicted just because of the neuroscience and the development (coughs) of the brain. So when we're doing prevention work, it's all about prolonging first use. It's, it's unrealistic to tell a 15-year-old to never drink a beer in their whole right. life. It's right. like, just don't do it now. Yeah. And here's why. Here's the science. Not because you're a good kid, bad kid. Not because you're not old enough. Not because mom said so. But because literally your brain can't handle it. And if you have a genetic predisposition, if you have underlying mental health issues, you're at even more of a risk. And really,
0: doesn't – I mean, that's, that's – isn't that really just about in, about every family? Yeah. You know, like I don't know about you but growing up you look at that family like, Oh my god, they're perfect. Then it turns out that was the most wackiest family ever. Yeah. You know? And it, I mean I, I mean I think all those things are there. And so right. like you when you mentioned the jewels and you told you just you like your t- parents talk to your kids, right. but you know what to do? Go and look them up first. Right. Look at educate yourself. Right. That's I mean it's not it's I'm amazed. Like we, we had a drug thing um, up at the uh, school. The uh, the uh, outreach officer came in um, to talk to the parents. It was a small group of parents, right. and and they will you know again it's disappointing like, the turnout disappointing all the time. Because we do events all
1: the time. And you're like really?
0: It's like um, what is it? One in six kids will end DJ. up end up in an addiction. I'm not sure that's It's like statistic. one is, I think no. it's one is, One in, out, of, out of every six kids, one kid mm. will uh, be addicted. And I'm right. sure, you know, with all this new marijuana coming in, and right. it's not the marijuana you and no, I smoke. this stuff is crazy. This is high-potency. Genetically potency. It's, it's off the charts. And right. so, you know, parents, if you don't think it's that big of a deal, at least educate yourself. Yeah. Look what's out there. Uh, look what's coming. The jewels are off the hook, aren't they? Yeah. Oh yeah. I it's mean, like
1: smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes. Yeah.
0: One little cartridge is yeah, is, yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy. Um and um and Google
1: it like go to NIDA, so like Nora Volco <coughs> is uh is the director of NIDA, National yeah. Institute of Drug Abuse, I think. or oh, it might that might have changed but um, regardless, she's a neuroscientist. Yeah. And she makes it, it's not about willpower or class or family values or yeah. religion. It's like, this is the brain. Here's the science. Yeah. And she'll show you there's all kinds of videos and like Google the effects of nicotine on the adolescent brain, marijuana on the adolescent brain, alcohol in the adolescent brain, and you'll see why it's so dangerous. Yeah. And you can't have this mentality, like, oh, you know, I did that. Well, that's cool. Like some people – I went to school with people that drank and smoked and did coke and chased females and side by side with me. Yeah. But maybe they didn't have a mental health condition like I did. Maybe they didn't have family history like I did. And the truth is like they got out of high school – and they kind of just chilled out, and they got a job, and they got married, yeah. and they had kids. And I couldn't stop. By the time I realized it was a real problem, yeah. it was it was way it was beyond my control. And isn't that addiction? So, yeah, we exactly. all have fun up front. You can't roll the dice with yeah. young people, you know. So I, I'm I'm a big fan of the parents getting involved and shutting. They it have down.
0: to be involved. They're gonna they do what they're gonna to do, but involved. don't co-sign it. Yeah. You know? Do you find that um, are you able to get into schools a lot? Um,
1: it's It's been a lot more um, open and I've been like I've been lucky that I do a lot of community stuff and I don't even get a call.
0: Yeah. Like, actually well, I have People know you anyways too. Well I have and a so. I,
1: and this is not ego but like <clears throat> I literally don't have enough time because the schools have I'm finally seen that there's something they want to do about this. Yeah. So like I was just in Whitman Hanson last week and that was huge. They had like I don't even know 700 kids and their parents it's the athletic send off it was mandatory to attend Yeah. and, and I came and this Saw the lady came who was great, and then people start calling like, "Hey, you know, you went to Thayer Academy last year. Can you come back?" And I start looking at my schedule, and the good news is, is like I got a team of like recovery coaches yeah. and other people that can can do a good <laughs> job, you know, and yeah. share experience. So we're trying to meet that need as much as possible. But yeah. I tell the schools, I'm like, can you make it like? forum make it big you know we i started off the first time i spoke in a school was in a health class of 12 kids yeah and i'm like hey listen i'm all about being of service but like can we fill (laughs) an auditorium (laughs) it's
0: it's it's important it's imperative you know to get everybody (laughs) in there those are one of those things i'm I'm like it's it should be mandatory right you know i mean you know we always have those uh mandatory auditorium meetings everybody's got to go they need to start doing that, and and I, I think they will.
1: Yeah, they will. I give a shout-out to, like, Nosset. So on Cape Cod, Nosset High, they made a – it's been the last few years I spoke at it with, with an assistant DA, and they call it the pre-prom assembly. Yeah. It's mandatory if your kid wants to go to the prom that's to fantastic. attend this thing with at least one parent.
0: See, that's – that's fantastic. And we fill the room,
1: and the DA talks about social host laws yeah. and the legal side of allowing young people to drink or smoke or whatever, yeah. what that looks like for the parent. And then the legal you know, r- ramifications of a young person getting caught intoxicated or driving under the influence. And then I come in, and I kind of do the recovery prevention brain science yeah. stuff. And, hey, this is how – you know. hey, I was the cool kid. I had fun. I get yeah. it. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. But, like, at the end of the day, at 22 years old, I was shooting heroin. Yeah. And once I crossed that line, I thought I wouldn't cross – That was nine more years, two years of methadone, three years of Suboxone, psych meds, moving to Tennessee, overdosing, waking up in a hospital, pulling the stickies off me, and you talk about the brain being hijacked I was in flight mode. Yeah. I gotta go. Yeah. Almost died. Not even fully aware of my surroundings. Running right out of the hospital. That's why I get upset when people talk about not can and these junkies. They don't want it and this and that. Yeah, dude. Listen. Once the brain gets jacked, they're not making conscious decisions. Right. For the same reason that the adolescent person can't make good decisions. The prefrontal lobe is responsible for decision making impulse control, right. common sense, you know, so the part of the brain we're relying on these individuals to use to make good decisions is literally compromised. Right. So they literally can't make good decisions, but they still have morals. So they do something and immediately after it was like, oh the that was an awful idea. Yeah. Because you know it's not right. Absolutely. But you couldn't stop yourself from doing it. Right. You know, and I've I've been I got three DUIs. I've been arrested probably twelve or fourteen times, overdosed at least three times that I remember um, been to seven or eight detoxes, a couple halfway houses. Like I said, the clinics. And and the million dollar question is, well, what happened? You know. And the truth is, it was like an accumulation of failure, and emotional and spiritual pain to the point where like I just was disgusted with myself. Yeah. I grew up in New Bedford. I always made money. I got in a lot of fights. I had a certain reputation and a certain respect. And in the end, I'm living at mom's house you know, sliding through the house looking yeah. to steal jewelry like a scumbag. I hated the person I became. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to die, but didn't have the courage to kill myself. Yeah. You know, and one of my best friends, Nick Winchermack, passed away, you know, May 2nd, 2010. And I remember going to that funeral and sitting in the front I was so close with the family, his nephews call me Uncle Kevin. Yeah. I sat with his sisters and his parents, and I'm strung out, and I'm, I'm trying to cry because I feel like you're supposed to cry. Yeah. And I can't shed a tear because I'm so blocked and yeah. numb from being an active addiction. And I'll never forget my mother and father walking by me and walking by, you know, his 31 year old corpse, dead doing from doing the same thing that I'm currently doing. Yep. And like walking by and looking at me like knowing I could be next. Yeah. And and not even being able to say, Don't worry, it won't happen. Because right. they've already got the ambulance bills. It they know. Like, I was next. And I'm so sick and I'm so stuck that I would leave that funeral and go home with his little funeral card and put heroin and Xanax in the spoon and say, rest in peace, brother, and blast it off. And I did that for two more months. But, you know, July 2nd, God willing, is is my recovery date. And I went into a hospital after calling detoxes for three days, three times a day. No bed, no bed, no bed. I know it's hard, but if you have willingness, you'll get a bed. And I finally ended up going to the hospital. I was there for 10 hours. I stayed. I got cleared by, you know, the crisis unit, and then I ended up in an ambulance on a dual diagnosis unit. Then I went to a CSS. Where did you end up going? I went to Plymouth High Point, a dual diagnosis unit. And then I went to uh, High Point TSS in New Bedford, and then I went to North Cottage in Norton. I stayed in treatment for 10 months, and I did everything treatment has to offer. I had a psychiatrist in the beginning that prescribed me non narcotic Anxiety meds, depression meds, and sleep meds for three months, take the edge off just to keep me in treatment. Yeah. And then I got off all the meds. I prayed every morning, prayed every night, went to a meeting every single night, went to the gym four days a week, joined a sober softball team, Uh, got a sponsor, was working the 12 steps, Um, had a therapist. The the program offered groups. So I was doing like groups the whole time, you know, hanging around positive people and simple things people take for granted. How about this breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Every day at the same time, yeah. Relatively going to bed and waking up at the same time every. Like I had to yeah. relearn how to live you had life. Yeah,
0: create all you all these new routines, yeah, these man. habits because you had all those other bad habits. Yep. Yeah. Um, was it hard, like going going and talking to the psychiatrist because you have to deal with a lot of stuff, right? Can you talk about that a little bit as far as yeah, like? So- I mean, I think a lot of people, like, I mean, you know firsthand, a lot of people get to a certain point in their recovery, and they're just not ready to address something, and and those are those moments where they relapse or, um, you know, I mean, just like.
1: Yeah, I get it. And the literature (coughs) says that. Doctors and psychiatrists have a very very little low opinion of us. Why? Because when we go, we don't tell them the truth. Yeah. <laughs> we go there with a motive. We tell them what we want to tell them to get the meds <laughs> that we think we need yeah. that are going to help us or that are going to get us high, right? Yeah. So for me, I was really broken this time. I was sincere about getting help. And I, I met with this doctor uh, on the dual diagnosis unit. And I thought, I think it was Dr. Lieberwitz actually, who's at um, – um, He's at South Coast Behavioral Health. I bumped into him, and I thanked him for helping me. Yeah. And that's maturity because when I first got into recovery and I went through the steps, I was, like, going through with the 12-step Uzi blazing psychiatrist, MAT, meeting makers. Like, I was, like, crazy. Yeah. And now the truth is if that man didn't medicate me, I don't know if I could have literally sat in the seat. It took two months Almost three months just to get to North Cottage. So I went in and I'm like, yo, I'm a disaster. This is what it looks like. And he hit me with the bipolar tag. Yeah. And I used to be resentful about that. But the truth is, the symptoms I was giving him, which I believe were post-acute withdrawal syndrome, are the almost exact same symptoms for bipolar. Yeah. So he, he diagnosed me and treated me based on what I reported. Yeah, And, I, and he, he also said, I mean, we all agree, anybody watching this, I'm ADHD to the max. I'm 38 years old. I'm drinking water, and I live in the red line. Like, this is where I live.
0: And, and you're all over the place. All over the place. Can't all keep my hands still. <laughs> right. And my
1: <laughs> VP, uh, Beth Foccarelli, if you happen to see this, she's always giving me pointers when I'm doing public speaking. She goes, Sarah, Sarah Grant's the director of marketing. Shout out Sarah and, and Amanda Marcotte. They say, you got to talk to Kevin. Try to keep his hands it's on the podium. Almost... <laughs> it's not possible. I'm like a ball of energy. But <laughs> That's funny. The good news is for other ADHD people out there, ADHD, and if you've got kids that are hyperactive, I'm a big holistic guy. You know, I have not been on meds for, for over seven years now. And through prayer and breathing exercises and mindfulness and exercise and like practicing active listening, You know, people that know me, I'm not a good listener. Like, I have to be super into it. And you have to yeah. almost ask permission like, Kevin, are you listening to me? Yeah. And like, yes. Okay, now I'm listening. Yeah. Because if not, I'm not listening. I'm checked out somewhere. <laughs> and when, I'm a student. I went back to school. I got my associate's degree. And now um, I'm at Bridgewater State working on my bachelor's. I sit in the front row. When I go to meetings, I sit in the front row. Why? Because I need to look at the speaker. I need to hear what he's saying. If I'm in class, I got to write things down. I got to repeat them in my head. Yo, my man. What's up, Brandon? Um, but... I, I've had to learn, So I just totally checked out ADD. But I've learned.
0: <laughs> I'm impressed that you can you can read the names. I got great sight. <laughs> That's good. Attention deficit sight on swole. Yeah. I can see here, 2010 That's vision. That's funny.
1: But really, so w- when I see these young kids and they're in school and they get diagnosed, they're throwing Adderall at them and Ritalin yeah. and all these other things, Vivance and the stuff, and I'm like, okay. I'm not an anti-medication guy, but what else are you doing to help you? And right. a lot of them are doing nothing. Yeah. And you see this kid, he's 15 years old, and his pupils are all blown out. And I'm like, this kid, they're setting him up. Yeah. Because he's going to build a tolerance to whatever he's prescribed. And if you don't give him actual skills to deal with the anxiety right. and the depression <clears throat> and this and that, you know, years from now, he's going to need more and more and more. And he may find booze or something else. So, like, I, I'm a big fan of... So I get worked up. I know i got limited time. i got a lot to say, so I'm going 100 miles an hour. But when I get worked up now, I'm like, whew, I catch myself sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I can literally tell myself, all right, calm down. I can slow the speed of my voice down. I can take a couple of breaths. It literally brings my heart rate down. Yeah. I can bring the energy in the room down because I'm so intense. If other people have anxiety, it gives them anxiety. Yeah. And I, I catch myself sometimes. But through practice – of mindfulness and breathing, I can now chill out. Yeah. My whole life, especially in elementary school, once I got worked up, it's like the Tasmanian devil. I got wound up, and I would just crash through walls until I got in trouble. Like I I would just go, and I could not stop. And now I've learned techniques to chill myself out. You know, I love to go to the ocean. I'm a big ocean guy, but you can't always be in the ocean. I can right. be in my car listening to K-Love or something yeah. and close my eyes and think about my meditation spot at Fort Phoenix. And I think about the bay and it's just calm, a little bit of ripples. Yeah. And then it's like, but you got to make your cell phone bill or something, right? Like thoughts will never, <laughs> thoughts will never stop coming. Yeah, I know. So I don't try to like be like this a Buddhist Zen monk that doesn't think. I acknowledge the, the thought and like I put it on a boat. And I'm yeah. like, all right, I got to pay this cell phone bill. And I let, it, I let it float by and I try to refocus on the ocean, right? And it's like, yo, you got to call your brother back. You got to go to Kyla's kitchen, get your father's, you know, thing and this and that. But I'm like, all right, all right, crazy mind. My sponsor yeah. calls it the monkey mind. <laughs> it's always racing. So I've learned techniques now. When I practice meditation, I have longer periods of feeling the bay yeah. and less boats. Right. But the boats still come. The distractions still come. You can, know?
0: can I put my bills on that boat?
1: Yeah, man. Put them, I ain't paying them, but you yeah. can let them float by. <laughs> they, they're going to come back? <laughs>
0: yes. No, but I know what you're talking about because I get the same thing yeah. sometimes. Sometimes life, like, it's right there, man. Right. But I think it's important. Um, like these, these, like you were talking, the meditation, the prayer, right. those things. But If it, prayer's not for you, if meditation's not for you, yeah. the point is, is is find what it is for you. Yoga, uh, Pilates, yoga, acupuncture, Pilates.
1: Reiki. So I'm a big... whole health and wellness. Yeah. So recovery, I'm going to drop a gem on you if you don't know. Recovery is not about not using drugs. (laughs) Yeah. And if you go to an AA meeting and you say, alcohol's not my problem, people lose their mind. Yeah. The truth is, drugs and alcohol are not really the problem. They make things much worse without a doubt. But a real addicted individual with an emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual issue gets way worse when you take the drugs and alcohol away. So recovery is about, how do I find happiness? Yeah. How do I find purpose? How do I deal with anxieties and the pressures of life? People are going to die. Some of the people I love the most have died in yeah. my recovery. I blew up a relationship. I was—I had this girl I was in love with, and I lost sight of it, and I left her, and I went with this other girl. I thought I was in love with her, and I left her, and I hurt her. Like I've caused so many problems. I got in a fist fight two years sober. Yeah. Like I've gone to school. I've moved. Like Life keeps coming at me. I fall short as a human every day. I judge people. I swear. I can be a creep with lust. Like I'm superhuman, Yeah. but I keep doing these things that – resolve my spirit and keep cleansing me and I still go to meetings I still pray every morning and pray every night I still get I'm active in sports I still give back I have a sponsor I sponsor other men I'm doing certain things to continue to make myself feel good because at the end of the day a person an alcoholic or a drug addict without the drugs and alcohol is typically not happy. Right. And that's when they get into sex and gambling and everything else because they're trying to fill that hole. And that's why, like, they get the job and the girl and the cow and they do well for a little while and they're like a rock star for a very temporary. Moment of time, but then that hole grows again, yeah. and it's the next thing, and the next thing, and when you got all this stuff around you, ultimately you still feel like crap, and your brain's like, just have a drink, right? Just smoke a joint, yeah. Just don't do it three days. And it in creeps. A row. It
0: just like we, we talked about this uh, yep. I, uh, a couple, few weeks back, yeah. And and so um, really stress the self care because we self-care. the conversation that we had was like you know and, and again you see it more I see it at my job you somebody leaves they've been do, you know they're doing good uh, they've gone a year they've gone two years and then they relapse and then you talk to them and it's like what happened you know same story Oh, every this time. and this and then it's like but a lot of them will say they all stopped doing whatever they were whatever doing. it was that's right and and uh, and and I just believe like you know you if you um, <clears throat> you just like you have that like you were talking to the voice it got to pay the bills and stuff that voice just tells you hey kick back relax today
1: you got this y-
0: you know it's like you worked hard today you don't need to go to that meeting And then before you know it, you haven't been to the meeting in a week, two weeks, three weeks. And now, like you said, you can feel it. So it's really like just stress.
1: Stress that self-care
0: because you have to take care of yourself first. Before you start taking care of others.
1: It's it's double down yeah. for correctional people, <coughs> by the way. I know. It's double or triple down for addiction and mental health professionals because there's so much transference and countertransference. Yeah. Like, and if you're in recovery and you're trying to run around and help people in recovery, you will literally burn yourself down trying to save people. Yeah. I know I can't save anybody. Yeah. I know I couldn't keep myself sober. There's a power in the universe yeah. and a whole fellowship of people that help me stay sober. Right. And I need to stay plugged into that. The recovery story is always same. I went to treatment. I found things that helped me cope and helped me feel good. Then the blessings of recovery get in the way. The goal is as the blessings come in to not lose sight of what got you there. Right. Because the relapse story is always I was going to meetings, therapy, acupuncture, Reiki, the gym, whatever someone's treatment plan is. I'm a I'm a twelve step guy. I'm a whole health and wellness guy. I believe in I need a multitude of things to feed my mind, body, and spirit. Uh, I'm very open to whatever anyone has to do to find peace. Right. But whatever you find, you can't let up. Right. You got to keep going. You know, and recovery is possible. I have an amazing life. I just got back from Bahamas. You know, shout out to my boy Cliff. He just got married in Tara. You know, I went there free, man. I don't hide from alcohol. I don't hide from drugs. I went on a straight booze cruise, and I'm not bragging. But because of solid recovery and good people in my life, yep. I went and had fun on a four-day cruise and never thought about drinking. And I had a good time. And
0: it's fun, isn't I had it? had a blast.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. you can You'll, I'll always be a person with this disease, and I believe that if I ever put any kind of substance or chemical in my system, it won't be long before I crash and burn again. Right. But I do believe I, I have recovered from the hopelessness. Right. I'm no longer hopeless. Yeah. I live a free life. I'm not addicted to any medication. The government doesn't have any grip on me. I don't care about a psychiatrist. If I want to get on a plane right now and go visit my aunts in Portugal, I'm gone. Yeah and i'm going to be okay there yeah because the power of the universe is going to be there yeah. and if i'm there with good motives to be helpful to my family i'll be safe and protected yeah
0: so it's really like and we've talked about this we have a uh, one of the episodes we uh, shane uh, johnson and myself we talked about the higher power yeah it's it's important it clicks it it it's it's right. it's huge i mean whether whatever it is um you, you got to keep that thing you got to stay connected to that mm. um it's just like if you're working out if you're not working out, you're going to get weak, right. um, and so you have to maintain it. It has become a way of life, but it's a good way of life. Right. I go out all the time. I do stand-up comedy. I'm, yep. I'm out. People are drinking all right. around me. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I'm right. good, but like you, right. I can't touch I, 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 nothing.
1: I'm a total abstinence guy. I I had surgery. I didn't even take pain meds. I I won't take, you know, psych meds. I won't take anything. I'm like, I'm even sketchy about taking an allergy pill, but I got bad allergies. So I really don't try to put anything in my body that's not necessary that could set off that allergy or that craving. Well, I will
0: tell you. So I was the same way for the longest time. I had diverticulitis, and it's extremely painful. Um, It literally uh, got to a point where over like a long period of time – I finally got to the point where I was like, I have to take some pain meds, yeah. um, you know, but I was mindful of the fact of who I am and, you know, and I used it the way it was supposed to be used. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like I used it just if I needed to sleep at night, uh, I used it and right. then I'd never, I I wouldn't, I'd probably didn't use it any more than two days. Right. So, you know, again, it's not to put that fear of you can never use that stuff. Right. I think that stuff has to be, you just have yeah. to be educated. Yeah, I heard an old-timer tell it. me
1: one time, he's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> kid. Tell me when you have a hip replacement, you ain't gonna take a <laughs> you know We're all going so,
0: down that road. So I had an know.
1: ACL done and they yeah. tried to give me perks and I wouldn't take it and they gave me tramadol to take twice a day for a week and yeah. I took it uh, once a day for yeah. three days because it was so bad. But this is what I did. I told my sponsor. I had my mother keep it. Um, I, I wrote down a list every time I took it. And, uh, like, I was accountable to it. And I was telling people, hey, look, just keep a heads up. I have to take this. And yeah. I was in a chair with ice on my knee. For three days, I was not going to be able to move. Yeah. And on day on day three, I was at a meeting. Yeah. And I told myself, hey, I need help. I, I can't drive for a little while. Yeah. Reach out to the fellowship. I took tram and for three days and, and just – always be on. It's the sneaky stuff that'll get you. Yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, the best solution or the best medicine for addiction is love. Yeah. (laughs) Love is the solution. Find a way (sighs) to fill your heart because if you're truly happy and you're content yeah, and you feel love in your heart, Drugs and alcohol have no power. No, they They don't. They seem ridiculous. Yeah. But the problem is if you don't do whatever you got to do to keep that feeling in a healthy way, not obsessing over money and power and sex and and the gym and steroids and all the weird stuff people do. Yeah. Like if you find a healthy way to experience peace, drugs are laughable. Yeah. But if you deviate and the anxiety comes back and the racing thoughts come back and the anger and you want to slap people and you're like, all of a sudden your brain's like, hey, we know what works. But this is how we're going to do it this time. Yeah. I don't know anybody that up pick, picked up a drink and said, In three months I'm gonna shoot heroin, sell all my jewelry and like go back to treatment. Yeah. The brain is like, No, you're good.
0: Yeah. Just the brain will tell you just eat a little bit of wine at dinner. You'll be fine. Just a glass. You and you then... a problem with alcohol. <laughs> and
1: then and then you have that <laughs> glass of wine, and you're
0: like, Yeah, see, I can do this. Like, yo, Kev, you got a bed. <laughs> <laughs> Any beds I got? Yeah. No. Wow. That story's common, man. It is I, common. It's very, very common. You know? Uh it just it doesn't work. But I, I think yeah. you're spot on about the um you know, the the love, um that whole love thing, um, it it works, man. Yeah. But again, it's the same thing, like you, you have to you have to do that self care. Self care right. is huge. You gotta take care of number one. There are a lot of people when they get into recovery and it clicks, it's just a natural to wanna help other people right. in the same situation because right. I've been there, I experienced that and mm. I know what works. Mm. And then you eventually Right. you're focusing on everyone and then sometimes I think I'll speak for myself okay. it's easier to focus on focus on everybody else oh, of course because then I don't have don't to deal have to with all himself. the crap
1: and yeah well it's just like anything <clears throat> else you can only drive people around on a bus for so long yeah you gotta stop and get gas you know yeah. the, the literature says you cannot possibly transmit something that you haven't got right. so see to it that your own house is in order you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I need to always make sure that I'm, I'm okay. And I'm not always okay. Right. Anyone that's my friend that's watching, I don't lie. I'm not really good at this. I'm, I'm not a rock star. Like, I know my ego gets blown out because I get a lot of attention and all that stuff. But like, I, I just really want to help people. But yeah. as a human, man, I crash and burn so yeah. often, every yeah. day. And I feel like for me, my higher power and my program lets me mess up just enough so that we got to wrap up. Just so you what, know. What are we at? One minute.
0: Oh, we're only at 44 minutes. Okay. We got a little bit of time, man. All right. We have flexibility, man. Yeah. Dylan's all right. Right, Dylan? He, that so was just to kind of let us know we're well, at 45 minutes.
1: Well, I'm used minutes. to that because I'm so, like, I'm like yeah. that guy. I'm a hostage taker. Like, yeah, I'm,
0: no, stand-up comedy is <laughs> the same way. Like, Get off the
1: stage. <laughs> like, you <laughs> went 70 minutes and 30 seconds. Get off the stage. And to the it's point like, where people invite me and they're like, all right, <laughs> you have 17 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, what? So <laughs> in my brain, I'm like, I'll, I'll do the best I can. Yeah. And at the end, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry I went over. She's like, I had 25 minutes for you, but if I told <laughs> so you 25. They, so they know you. Yeah. They, <laughs> they know you. They're already lowballing me just to give me that <laughs> That's last, funny. I need 10 minutes to wrap up. <laughs> but, you know, the thing
0: is, is that, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's just, just really just a, there's right. a lot of information that you really want to get out to people. It's good, solid am- right. information that you can use to help you and stuff like that. So, right. I mean, we just, we just figured when we started the podcast. You know, we wanted, we wanted to make it. We don't want to make it too long. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes, as you know, Kev.
1: Francois, what's up, primo?
0: People get fired. My
1: cousin in Portugal. Actually, he might be in France right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All, All right, Francois. 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 Frankie, baby.
0: He's watching us from France. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's checking us out in Holbrook. He's so like us Frank Santarelli's on there. Frank is a, uh, a, a professional stand-up comedian. Yo, Used up, to Liz? be Georgie on The Sopranos. Oh no! Nice. You ever watch that TV show, The, yeah. Uh, the uh, Sopranos? Yeah, man. Georgie was the bar- he uh, Frank was the bartender. Georgie, oh, nice. who always got beat up by all the mob guys. Oh so, man, Frank, yeah, great I'm sorry. guy. So <laughs> <laughs> Frank, I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, so uh, is there anything that you want to um, talk about that you feel like?
1: So my my thing is like.
0: What you really want people to hear. What Uh, I really
1: want people to hear, I mean, I don't know, you never know who's listening, but the number one thing is always that recovery is possible. Absolutely. That's always the number one. Number two is prevention is so important and anyone under the age of 25 is at an extreme risk to becoming addicted. So you got to be mindful about what you allow as a parent. The other thing is that Medication is not always the solution. Mm-hmm. So I've been frustrated as a person in recovery, as a person who's a treatment provider. Like Gosnell's a nonprofit. We have nine outpatient sites. We prescribe Vivitrol, Naltrexone, Suboxone. We're working on a methadone license. Like, I get it. We want to give everybody every opportunity to first not die and to get well. you know. But at the end of the day, some of these people think that you know Suboxone or any other prescription is like oh, yeah. the end-all, be-all. It's one tool, one part of the process that has to be wrapped around with a whole bunch of other things. Because if you just throw medicine at it, all you're really doing is sedating yeah. and prolonging the problem. So they still get anxiety, they got depression. Oh, more meds, more meds, yeah. more meds. And absolutely, like I think if a bunch of people were on Suboxone, they'd be less likely to die, but they wouldn't necessarily be free from addiction. Right. You know. Th- right. It it should be a tool used for high risk people to transition and too many of the people that make decisions are selling it as like it's the thing. Right. So and it's not. I respect it's all part things. of it. It's part of it. Yeah. Even when we do Vivitrol, even when I say 12 step, I'm like, go to 12 step, but go to the gym, eat healthy, watch your nutrition, right. go back to school, get a get well job. It's never one thing. And anybody that like pushes one thing, you got to wonder what their motive is.
0: Isn't that so, the human, isn't that, isn't that what the human way? Yeah. Like you want to lose weight? This is the way. Pill what uh, up, Chago? Or drink, or surgery, or right. a, it's just—it's right. not. It.
1: I say, ask other people in recovery. Yeah. So, like, when you hear these people give presentations, it's never a guy in recovery, and they have these statistics based on no-show rates and this and that. And I completely get that. Like, sixty-four thousand people died in 2016. Do whatever we got to do to save a generation. But pitch it the way that it is. Don't pitch yeah. it as the solution. Pitch it as maybe a step in the right direction, or a harm reduction model, or a way to like. Switch dependencies onto something that's less dangerous because that's the truth. But you got you to gotta give people the whole picture. I want to know what are the rates of people that have gone on, successfully transitioned off yeah. and r- remained in remission. You know, there's no statistics on that. Of course they come back. They're physically dependent on it. Yeah. With that said, I know a couple of people that were on methadone and suboxone, but did it the right way, went to outpatient therapy, had an IOP, you know, went to meetings, went to the gym, went through the twelve steps and slowly came off. They had a plan. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. But you hear these people, you know, twenty years, ten years, That's- and it's like
0: yeah, that's not, um, it's not what, that's not how it was right. made. Right. You know, um, it was, like you said, Vivitrol, Suboxone, uh, Methadone, all made right. as a temporary right. to take the edge off. Right. So you can, you can work on those other things right. that, that keep you free from addiction. Right. Um, so I I don't want
1: to get crazy because I'm wearing the Gosnell badge if you're on whatever you're on God bless you do what you gotta do I'm not judging anybody it's just been frustrating lately because I was at a conference and someone was selling it like that's the next thing and I was like no it's a great thing and it helps people but don't oversell it you know it's it It's just frustrating. So, like, talk to people in recovery. Reach out and find other people in recovery. That's why the family support groups are helpful, like Learn to Cope, Naranon, Al-Anon, you know, Gosnell family support groups. Go to org. We have, you know, a bunch of family support groups that are free. Ask other people what worked for you, what didn't work, you know, and you'll find a bunch of different experiences. And and, and I'm open-minded to whatever someone has to do to get well. So as professionals, as parents, as individuals with substance use disorder, you gotta kinda be open-minded as well. And sometimes it's the step you gotta take to get to the next step. Like I wasn't going to a halfway house if methadone was going to work, so I tried right. methadone. And then methadone, you got to go to the clinic every day. So Barkson came. Up. I'm like, that's great. I can travel with it. Yeah. I'm not going to go to a therapist. I'm not going to look at my – I don't want to talk about my daddy issues. Yeah. So I, those were all steps in my process, right. and I'm grateful for them. Unfortunately, they didn't work for me, but each one of those got me closer to the desperation I needed to say, you know what? I'm I surrender. Yeah. I can't do this. What do you suggest, Bill? You seem to be successful. Yeah. And Bill's like, Well, I do this. And even when I meet guys, I never say, You should do this. Yeah. All I you say can't. is, yeah, In I mean, my it's... experience, this <clears throat> last time, this is what I did. I'm generally pretty happy. Yeah. I haven't obsessed about drinking or getting high. I've been successful. Like I'm a decent human. And these, excuse me, these are the things that I do. Right. Try it. Yeah. Or try some of it or whatever. And, and, and always. I try to always love someone through their process. It's easy to judge someone and get mad at someone. And, and, like, you know, people come to the meetings and they're, like, way over-medicated and they're all, you know, all blown out. And it's like, all right, I get it. It triggers people in early recovery. But at least they're not on the street. You know, right. they're not out there. They're, they're at not the meeting. selling Them, their body. They're at the There's meeting. an attempt going they're on. They're going to hear something. Yeah. Maybe that they're, they're on the path <laughs> of consideration, you know. So um, it's easy to get all self-righteous and judge other people. But at the end of the day, like, I believe uh, – I just need to be a decent human. Yeah. I need to do what I do and mind my business. Right. And, and when we deal with families, Deb, I love you too. What's up, Deb? And um, the thing is, is like you as a parent and as an individual have to make decisions that you can live with. Yeah. Because if I tell someone you should do this and it don't go the way you wanted it to go, then you blame me. Right. Do the research. Look at different options. Ask other people what their experience is and then make the best decision based on that. And then if that doesn't work, like when we make a treatment plan, I'm going to come up with like this six-month-to-a-year treatment plan. Yeah. I'm going to be like, you should go to Detox. You should go to katamit for 28 days. You should go to Miller House for two months. Then you should go to Shore Road with a recovery coach for three right. months and do PHP. And no- normally what they're going to do is be like, what? Yeah. And then like, so they'll pick. Well, this is what I'm willing to do. Yeah. Okay, go. Run with it. Yeah. And then a month, three months, six months later, maybe there's a regression. They come back to the table. Hey, let's go to Detox, katamit Miller, yeah. Shore Road. I'm going to put it back on the table. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I'll do a couple more things. Yeah. And if they, do, if they don't die, right, and, and they stumble, keep bringing it back to the table. Keep yeah. bringing it back to the table. And that was my experience. I failed. I made mistakes. I tried to run on self-will. And in the end, not being able to sustain permanent recovery, like some people say, I had six months. Well, that's great. Yeah. But how can we build on that? I don't want to get six months every six months and start yeah. over and start over, you know? So like I had to realize like I do well, I get a job, I get the car, I get the girl, like I clean up well, yeah. but I don't sustain. Yeah. So I needed to learn a new way to like be abstinent and be happy, no. you know? So it looks different for everybody. I, I don't care like if you, you know, joined a book club and you were a vicious heroin addict and like you joined a book club and you volunteer at the book club yeah. and you help other people find the book club and that fills your spirit and you feel – God bless you. Enjoy yeah. your book club. Like, for real. Like Who yeah. am I to say that that's wrong? Right. You know, but there, there are certain things that a much higher percentage of people have done that have shown higher success rates. Right. I'm a business guy. I'm a hustler. Yeah. Yep. I, I sold cars and, and jewelry and guns and trucks and yeah. anything you can sell, and you always think of return on investment. Yeah. So if I'm going to sit in a program for six months... I'm going to do everything that I could possibly do to give myself the best chance of success. Yeah. Because when I heard someone say they had seven years of recovery and they wanted to kill themselves, I was like, what? If I have seven years of recovery, I better be killing it at life. And that's when I started to learn that, yeah, they put the substances down, but they still had this broken spirit and this emotional turmoil, and they still weren't okay. And when I heard that, I said, oh, my God. I'll do therapy, psychiatry, go to the gym. I'll pray. I'll do step work. It makes no sense, but I'll try it because I wasn't willing – to, to waste time, hoping it'd be different. You
0: know, you know I'll tell you. So we had, um, we had when we started this rock bomb to recovery. Um, uh, did it with Shane Johnson. You know Shane. Shane's um, the man. What up, Shane? Hope you're well. Um, and um, and Shane disappeared for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I was looking for him. Um, you know, he just kind of fell off the earth. And called a couple of people that know him. I said, "Is he okay?" That's all I care about. Right. And yeah, he's doing okay. And then I connected back up with them. I'm like. You know he was just telling me this, everything stress of life, everything coming down, and you know he realized I got a lot of issues I have to deal with right so he came on to to he actually came back and um, he came on the podcast and he talked about how all this stuff was going on in his life, and um you know he realized now i gotta I gotta start like dealing with all these other issues right. and and it's important like like you said, it's seven years in. If you're still hating life and everything, it's, you got to take a Doing uh, so wrong. something's up, something's <laughs> yeah. up, you right. know. And so, um, you know, like you said, educate, educate, educate. Um, I mean, there's just so much resources out there now. It's right. it's almost
1: right.
0: crazy not to be educated.
1: People get frustrated too, but believe it or not, <laughs> if you want to, if you have to be a person with substance use disorder. Yeah. Massachusetts is really the best place to be. I know it's hard to get a bed, and sometimes patients are picky about where they will and won't go. The truth is there's about 12 detoxes in the state of Massachusetts that take MassHealth. Outpatient offices, almost all of them take MassHealth. Most MassHealth will pay for some kind of medication-assisted treatment. So even a person with no money on state insurance, there are options. Now, I'm sorry it's not a quick move. Yeah, you have to sit in a TSS for two months. Well, I did. Yeah. I sat in TSS for seven seven weeks waiting to go to that halfway house. But the truth is, Charlie Baker and the people in Massachusetts, you know, you got Marty Walsh. You got, um, you know, the, gov- the the Brockton mayor, uh, Bill Carpenter. There's a lot of people that are doing a great job in Massachusetts yeah. that other states are looking at us like, wow. You know, with all the drop-ins and the Holbrook cares and Avon cares and, and, you know, the EB Hope and the Plymouth South and, the, you know, the DA Tim Cruz. There's so many people it really is. making a difference in yeah. this town, in this state. That's why... From year over year, we've actually seen a decrease in overdose deaths from the people like Lenny Cardoza that go knock on doors and all the angels and the recovery coaches shout out to Pat Kent that are in all the hospitals. Yeah. like we are doing a lot of cool stuff here, yeah really you know? is. so if you really want help and you reach out to somebody, people can point you in the right direction, right. you know, but it takes a certain willingness that's why you know people are quick to take the path of path of least resistance, yeah. so if someone's like, "Hey." He has this pill. Of course I'm going to do that. Why do I want to do all that other stuff? Right. You know, but the truth is recovery does take some work. Right. And I know I have a lot of knowledge. Like I could be shooting heroin with a head full of knowledge. Like I'm not exempt. I could relapse. Right. I could relapse if I don't take care of myself. And it's important to say I fall short. I have bad days. I get aggravated. Like I can run around and give a great speech and go home and be like ah scream and get yeah. all crazy. Like I'm human. But I go back and I get honest with people and I do the things that I learned in early recovery and I kind of replenish yeah. refreshing you know and and I have I really do have an amazing life <clears throat> you know
0: it's awesome good stuff right yeah
1: so can I give I'll give the last plug to Gosnell to anybody that wasn't yeah. here in the beginning. So
0: wait so before you do um again like we're not like set on time but we are going to wrap this up and yeah. everything um but Gosnell has, um, um, what's the, is it the Miller House is yep. for the and, men? Yep. And the Emerson and House. Emerson House is for the women. Yep. And in the women, they, could be, they can have kids.
1: We they have can be pregnant. We have only six rooms. Yep. For moms with babies. It's a very special program. Yep. And there's two rooms, two doubles, so we can have ten. We have the capacity for basically four pregnant moms and six moms with babies. And we work on reunification and we keep them there and try to set them up with the next move. It's hard to get in there because they stay a while, but it's an amazing program. It's an underfunded program. Like, Gosnold is a nonprofit in my you know, fundraising department will appreciate this. Like if you want to give to a good cause, like Gosnold is a not-for-profit and we have the program like the, the Emerson House and the Miller House that basically runs at 75% state funding. Yes. It doesn't generate revenue. It's not right. a profit, a profitable line of business, but it's such a need. Right. And if you go there, I went there today, I did a tour uh, with Jeff Smith from the, the Carpenters Fund and we walked into the baby wing and there was like four moms or grandmothers or whoever they are. Yeah. They, we get volunteers, retirees that watch the baby so mom can actually go participate in group.
0: See, that's amazing. You know, and it's that's really needed. It's so it's needed. needed. There's not a
1: lot of women in infant, or women in you know baby programs. Yeah. So that you know, that's why I really love Gosnold. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and you get caught up in, <clears throat> in the craziness. But what separates us is, yeah, it's a it's a business. If a business is not profitable, the door is closed, and we can't help right. anybody. But at the same time, if you look at what we do the Miller House, and the Emerson House. Yeah, there's a self-pay rate, but most of the people there are on state funding. You know, we have sober living, we have outpatient counseling, we have a Gosnell clinician in 40 different schools on and off Cape Cod doing work with elementary, middle, and high school, working with the families. We got four people in four different hospitals, South Shore being one of them. We're going to Beth Israel, Plymouth next, we're in Falmouth, we're in Hyannis, Cape Cod Hospital, and people that come in on an overdose, you got a guy that goes up to him and reaches out. A lot of these people, MassHealth, DPH, no one this isn't a business hustle we're there trying yeah. to help people at their most vulnerable time right and if for some reason there's not a bed at Gosnell because there's often not a bed we'll make the calls with them and try to help them get placed so there's so many cool things that we do that go beyond standard treatment and and typical like business stuff is right. why I'm so like team Gosnell like Tiffany Lane from Serenity at Summit in Haverhill always teases me because when we go to networking events I put Kevin Rosario Gosnell.org. <laughs> and she's Which like, is good. You're such a poster child. I'm like, because we're doing cool stuff. Right. We really are. Yeah, you know? You're saving people's lives. Yeah.
0: You're bringing people back. Um, we'll get um, Kevin. We're going to put Gos. I think uh, uh, on one of them, I think I already have Gosnell on there. But you guys can go down to their website, check it out, get some information. We'll get Kevin's information. Any information that you... Text me that I'll yeah. put it you on put to my, the podcast. Yeah.
1: You can put my email, my work, so.
0: He, he's very easy to find. Yeah. You know, you're all over the place and everything. So, yeah. uh, with that said, what we'll do is, um, as you guys know, I am part of the Holbrook Cares Coalition. We had a steering um, committee meeting last night. Um, tonight, uh, I think we're heading up to the Department of Health, um, Bulldog Cares, the kids there. Uh, yeah. um, they're up there presenting um, something that has to do with the tobacco flavoring in the town. Mm. Um, so, we're going to be up there tonight. But, um, we 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 meet on the first Tuesday of every month up at the Holbrook Town Hall, 7 to 9. Go to our Facebook page. Check out our resources. Uh, go to the Rock Bottom Recovery page. Check out our past episodes. also try to put resources up there. Numbers. To let us know if you like it. Spread the word. Tell people about us. Go to Podbean. Go to iTunes. Um, check us out. And uh, that's it. Kev, mm. that was awesome, brother. You are awesome. Yep. I appreciate you. You're like an Energizer Bunny um, times three. You're just <laughs> going. <laughs> then all boom, of a sudden boom, you were like. Boom. I and then I bring my breathing down, and then I, and I relax, and I breathe. So, uh, guys, if you liked it, it was great. Thank you for watching. We appreciate you. Be safe, and uh, reach out to us. <laughs> Bye.